Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. guys and welcome back to the ladies who law school podcast i'm sam and i'm Haley. and this week we have a guest her name is jolene blackborn she is from la she is also the author of the pre-law survival guide which you can get on amazon so definitely check out our links below if you want to check that out while you listen but yeah let's just jump right in Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Jolene Blackburn. Hi, Jolene. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. We are so happy to have you. So tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am from LA. I am a fourth generation Burbank, so definitely from LA. And I have two kids and two dogs. I went to law school at Southwestern here in LA. And I have practiced in two main areas of law, estate planning and workers' comp. And so a little transactional and a little litigation. And I help pre-law students um, with their legal journey as well. Very cool. So let's dive deeper into law school because, you know, we're still in law school. Most of our listeners are in law school or about to go to law school. So what made you want to be a lawyer and go to law school? I think I'm one of those people that, first of all, it was kind of that default. Like, I don't like medicine. I, you know, I'm not that good with numbers. So what would I do with a business degree? So it was a bit of a default, but it was also a bit of an interest. Um, and then also I just wanted that higher education. I just wasn't satisfied with just college. So, um, I liked politics. So I thought, you know, if I go to law school, a lot of politicians are lawyers. And so then I'll just go do politics afterwards. I don't even need to practice law. Who cares about that? Let's just get that law degree. So while you were in law school, did that change or, you know, did you want yeah. to do politics right after? No, what was it yeah. like? I don't know. <laughs> I never, there. yeah, I never spent like one minute in politics. So I don't know what I was doing. I think I just got really wrapped up. You know, they, once you go to orientation, it's almost like they tell you everything you have to do. And if you don't do it, you're doing something wrong. You're going to fail. Like, you know, and I fell victim to a little bit of that. Luckily, not too much. I still, I think once I got into the groove, really resisted everything that they said. I did everything the opposite of what they said. But yeah, I I went off the path of politics. I also had an interest in international environmental law. So I took a lot of international classes. Um, 
my second year, our environmental professor went on a one-year sabbatical. So I was not able to take environmental classes. So I was kind of mad. <laughs> so I took a lot of land use and um, urban development type classes. And actually that got me a lot of offers of internships because I was different than all the other environmental law students who had just taken the basic environmental course. So it actually turned out to be good along those lines. Um, but yeah, at the time I was really mad. <laughs> so. No, I can totally understand that. So you went to Southwestern in LA. Mm-hmm. So what made you choose to go there? So I went pre-internet. So there wasn't this, I don't know, um, easy access to information as far as nationwide, what your options were, or if you were kind of getting screwed over, you know, if maybe you could get a full ride somewhere else for the same LSAT and GPA. Um, it just, and, and I was kind of dedicated to staying in California and more specifically, preferably LA. I really am an LA person. So I really didn't want to go where there was snow or anything like that. Um, so that also limited my options. And in retrospect, I feel like that was kind of silly on my part, but it, it was what it was. You can only yeah. live your life at that time. So, um, yeah, so my undergrad GPA was not the best. I'm an excellent standardized test taker. Um, but my GPA, I have a, um, I did this in law school as well. I have a learning curve. So I went into college and it was so different than my high school experience that I just kind of fumbled, had a bunch of C's and then I got the hang of it, got my B's, got my A's, you know? And so part of my, um, addendum was, Hey, look at my GPA the last, you know, especially two years of college. It's amazing. It's great. Just don't look at the first two years you know, as yeah. I was warming up. Um, I don't know how great an argument that is for law school because there's not a lot of time to warm up in law school. Um, and I had to do the same thing. I had to warm up in law school. Um, but yeah, so I think that limited my options as well. So it wasn't like I was going to go to UCLA or something like that. Well, I just want to validate you about the warming up thing because I absolutely agree. I think I've been the person in law school who has had to warm up. Um, I took some time off and it was like getting back into learning how to learn and what you do to learn best and not just memorizing information like I did so much in undergrad. So I totally get it. I think that that's a great move for any pre-law students out there that have that same story to write an addendum about that. That's super smart. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I listen to your podcast when I can. And, and I know that you have, have had recently, uh, Angela Warfel as your sponsor. And absolutely, I cannot speak highly enough of her and, her, you know, her, her zero L class because it gives you that warm up so that you can go into law school and hit the ground running and know what you're doing and have a little guidance so that you're yes. maybe let's just say a semester ahead or two semesters ahead of kind of where you would have been. So, um, yeah, I wish there had been something like that when I was in law school. So when you were in law school, what kind of internships did you have? And did any of those internships turn into a full-time job? Yeah, um, I had a lot of really cool internships. I loved all of them. I worked for an environmental nonprofit, which was fabulous. I um, worked, for, I, I worked for two actually. And then I um, interned for the Natural Resources Department at the Attorney General's office. I was offered an internship at the city attorney's office in the land use department, which again was kind of my focus. 
And, but timing wise, just with my schedule, couldn't make it work. But at that time, I really did have these people kind of knocking down my door. But for me, I graduated in 2002. So I went into my 3L year. Um, the economy was amazing. People were making money hand over fist. They were getting $25,000 raises every year. And then September 11th happened and the economy went to trash and private firms. I mean, there were a million private firms in the twin towers were gone. And so their LA offices were a mess and they were laying off all their associates. And so all these associates were competing for brand new graduate jobs, just the same as the rest of us. And anything in the government, the government went on a five-year hiring freeze. So anyone who had been promised a job with the government, if you weren't already an attorney and in there within like, let's say that month um, of September 11th, you were out. And so I had friends who were in their 3L year who had been working for the city attorney or something for a year and had been told, okay, you're a law clerk, but when you graduate, we'll hire you as an attorney. It was all pulled back. So those people were now competing with the rest of us for jobs. So it was this big mess. So actually working in something that you were interested in, that you went to law school for, was pretty much out of the cards for most people. It was next to impossible. Um, so for me, again, I know a lot of people go to law school with this I'll take anything. I just want to do, you know, some kind of big corporate thing or whatever. They have various interests. And I was so specific. I really want to do environmental law. Um, my third year, my second semester, I took wills and trusts and I had zero interest in taking this class. I almost didn't take it, but my counselor was like, please, it's two subjects on the bar. And I said, no, it's so boring sounding. I'm not going to take it. I don't care about the bar, you know, again, because I wasn't convinced I want to be an attorney. I was like, hey, even like working for a nonprofit, using my law degree can still be very helpful. So I don't really care. I caved at the last minute. I ended up loving the class. I got the top score in the class. And so that's like, it just was so crazy. I was like, whoa, I went from academic probation my first semester to my last semester getting a top score on a, um, in a class. And yeah, and so I was like, you know what? This is what I want to do. And, and especially I was starting to realize I couldn't afford a nonprofit job. So this at least would pay me. So, or at least this is what I thought. Um, unfortunately, estate planning is very much solo practitioners. It's very hard to get a job at a firm. Sometimes firms like family law firms might offer a little side biz of estate planning. So you're mostly going to do family law and maybe every once in a while you'll touch estate planning. Um, the bigger firms that do estate planning for big, you know, rich clients want you to have a tax LLM. I didn't want to pay another 30 grand for school. So I was in this like stuck place. So I managed to find a part-time job. Um, which doesn't help pay the bills very well. Um, and then I had an opportunity to receive referrals. And so I opened my own firm and I was actually kind of working for a while, two jobs at one time. And that was a little chaotic, <laughs> but, but, you know, I felt like, well, I saw all my friends doing all these really boring areas of law. Um, I was doing what I wanted to do. So that was why I kind of did that, even though it was a little crazy at the time. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. 
Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. That's honestly so inspiring. I mean, so you opened up your own shop because you were getting referrals for estate planning. Yes. Very cool. And so was your other part-time job in law or was it doing something else? Yeah, I actually was. I I think I was doing three jobs actually. So I was working for an estate planning firm part-time. I was working for myself basically part-time because again, the referrals were just starting to come in. And then I was, and I wasn't good at sales. So, you know, they were sending me warm leads, but I still had trouble closing the deals a lot of times. So really the only customers I got were those who were dead set on getting the trust. And that was really hard. It was eye opening that law school really didn't teach me anything. And, um, and then I was tutoring for the SATs at the same time. So really just trying to make ends meet until I could really get something going. Um, but yeah, that only lasted a few years after about three years, I just was like, I, I just really need to pay some bills. I can't keep doing this. And so I actually caved, my friend went straight, a lot of my friends went straight into work comp. And so I finally caved and went into work comp, which I had been calling the devil's work. (laughs) I had said it was horrible. You're reading medical stuff all day. Who wants to do that? It's litigation. I never, ever wanted to do litigation, but I really need to pay some bills. So I thought, you know what, let's just do this and we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll come back in a few years. And I actually loved it. I stayed in it for 15 years. Um, I even earned the nickname trial queen. I mean, I went completely the opposite direction. So, um, yeah, I had, you know, the respect of some pretty crazy attorneys out there and, um, it was very, very rewarding in a way that transactional just will never be because, you know, yay, you did some great paperwork um, and you helped some people and it's always rewarding to help people. But just having the respect of um, some pretty rough attorneys and showing that, hey, oh gosh, you know, I don't really want to go to trial against her and getting to a place where um, I can train people how to do a trial And when I talk to opposing counsel and they're like, well, if you don't give me more money, we're going to trial. And I'm like, okay. 
and they can see that I'm serious. Like I don't care, you know, it's that level of comfort. Um, and you know, I've had witnesses change testimony on the stand and that ability to think on your feet and then just leave the courtroom laughing and saying, you know what, (laughs) it is what it is. Um, it just, it was a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And so I finally actually just a few years ago said I need a break and came back to my estate planning. Wow. I'm like <laughs> so impressed. I love the fact that you say being a litigator is just like what gets, I don't know. I totally, I can't put it into words, but I know what you're saying. Like you get out there, you compete a little bit. You it's almost like a performance. You, you know? perform like, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And you, you, negotiate and you have these conversations and you advocate. And, uh, the fact that you did that for 15 years, I mean, it just like, I love too the fact that you went to law school, you're like, I don't even want to take wills and you know, the stars align perfectly and you take this class yeah, and you're, you're like, like, I, I don't want to do litigation. And then like, you love it. You know? And then she kills it. Right. Like, yes, yeah. that's what I'm saying. That's such a lesson for anyone out there. Like, don't be scared to pivot. Say yes do things that you might even feel uncomfortable with and don't be scared to like lean into it. Yeah. It's amazing. Just when I think about all the things I said I wasn't going to do and then they just ended up working out. So definitely keeping your options open. I mean, you can know your path, you can know your interests, but just realize there's a million things out there. I mean, we think about it recreationally like, Oh, I don't like, I don't know, dancing. And then you learn how to ballroom dance and you're like, well, I love dancing. You know, it's, you just don't know it's for everything in life, but we usually kind of think of that more recreationally, but really law school is the same way. There are topics that, you know, you're like, I need to fill this gap. I need an elective. What do I do? Nothing's available for my schedule. Well, take the random class, take the boring, you know, personal injury class, the work comp class. Maybe you actually might like it, And maybe it's a whole new field. And I can tell you things like personal injury and work comp are great for bad economies. Um, Those fields tend to thrive in bad economies because people who are employed and don't want to complain, don't want to lose their job, and then they get laid off because of the bad economy, suddenly they're going to file that work comp claim. So it's, you know, there are certain industries out there that do better in bad economies. And, you know, especially if you're just like, Hey, I just want a job and I really want a stable job. There's certain areas a lot that are better for that. And as the times change, mm-hmm. it sounds like, yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's good to like, just know. Yeah. You know? I never like, really thought <laughs> yeah, of that. So thanks for sharing that. And like you said, graduating, right. I mean, you know, a few months, maybe like nine or 10 months, I guess after nine 11, like, you know, we've talked to people that graduated in 2008 and like, you just hear how you really do have to pivot and like your life. Yeah. And just kind of make things work. And it, I really, can you talk more about, you know, you said you did your own practice for a few years, then you went to workers comp for 15 and then you left, you know, can you share with us? Like, why did any of that have to do with, you know, family or, you know, just having more time, more flexibility? Like, why did you do that? Yeah. So definitely, like I said, the first one was economical. (laughs) So second one, when I left work comp, yeah, you know, there's no, um, work comp, you have about a hundred files. It's extremely fast paced. You can be a trial 
every week. I mean, it's really intense. So there's no calmness really there. Um, and yeah, I have two kids. They're currently 12 and 14. Um, so this was 2019 when I left. And um, they're both special needs and they just really needed more attention. And I had been taking over the last few years before I left short leaves of absence to just kind of catch up on life, take care of things, uh, reduce my stress level for a little while, you know, reset the clock. And when I came back from my leave in early 2019, I think it was, um, I just realized it was just a matter of time before I did another one. And, and I felt like it was needed sooner than the other ones, you know? Yeah. And I just was like, you know what, this isn't going to work. I can make this work for maybe another year or something, but long-term I'm tired. I'm burnt out. Um, so I left, I had been working corporate. I was, um, at a fortune 100 company and I actually, and I know everyone says they hate corporate. I loved corporate. I loved it. Um, the benefits cannot be beat. Um, and it's a matter of where you work. My environment was amazing. I mean, when I said I need help, they would try to do whatever they could to give me help. Now, giving me a different job, hey, can you give me half the files? They can't do that. <laughs> you know, they might be able to do something for a few months, let us help you out, but it wasn't ever going to be a permanent thing. You know, they have a they have rules, right? It's a corporation. So, but the environment was very loving. It was very much a family. And so it really is a matter of where you work. So I just want to say that because yeah, everyone, I just, I get so sick of hearing like corporate was killing me. And I'm like, well, it wasn't exactly corporate. It was the environment you were in. So, so anyway, so I knew they were doing what they could and I knew they would do a little more if I asked, but I just knew it was going to be constant accommodations. And so I left. Um, I was just going to completely leave comp, but my friend had just started a firm. They needed some help and they were like, come on, it'll be great. That ended up stressing me out even more. So I actually, my whole face like exploded, like it literally puffed out and it was like super dry and wrinkled. I don't know what was going on, but like I would put moisturizer on my face and 10 minutes later, it would just look so dried out. And I mean, even my eyelids, everything, I had to go into depositions looking like that. It was so embarrassing. You couldn't tell I had makeup on because it had just like sunken into these wrinkles. It was crazy. And I was like, okay, there's something seriously wrong here. I need to leave. And so I only lasted a few months there. And again, it has nothing to do with them. It was just not Not going to happen. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. So I left Um, and that's when I've always helped pre-law students. So, um, I've given speeches at UCLA for years, um, because that is my local big university. Um, and so I just decided to focus on that. And within months is when COVID hit. So then it was like, well, nobody's doing anything anyway. So I'm not going to worry too much about what's going on. I'm just going to keep helping pre-law students. And then around mid 2020 was when a bunch of friends were like, do you still do wills and trusts? And I was like, um, that was 15 years ago. No, I don't. But after about four friends, I was like, I'm just turning away money at this point. And so I had been a little, yeah, I've been a little reluctant. Like, do I really want to go down that path again? Because again, it's not like I've really learned a whole lot more about sales. (laughs) I've learned a little more, but you know, and, um, 
but yeah, so I reopened my firm and then that's been going great. And so, and it's been very easy to coincide with helping pre-law students. So, um, so now I do the both. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was a kid thing. It was definitely a family and a kid thing and a stress thing. Yeah. And I think your story kind of just highlights how your career can be ever evolving. You know, you can choose what you want to do with your degree. Um, you know, opening up your own shop, going to different firms, like pivoting. Yeah, pivoting. Like y- you can kind of forge your own path. Yeah. So that's good for people to just, you know, realize, Remember. take a step back, be like, okay, you know, I might not start off in my dream job, but that doesn't mean that I can't do X, Y, Z eventually. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I see it, especially in the estate planning, um, like, boards that I belong to, that a lot of people have chosen this as a second career, that a lot of people are, you know, done with their big law job. And so they want to do estate planning because it is a little bit more at your own pace. I mean, you know, the person's either already dead, so there's just no rush there, or, you know, most of the people who come to you aren't dying today. So while you do want to get them their documents, you know, it's not like it has to be done right now. So, it's a nice feel when you do need that extra flexibility. And so, yeah, so a lot of people have pivoted into this field and uh, it's nice to see because you can feel their release, you know, their relaxation, their uh, de-stressing. So yeah, definitely you can pivot at any time and you can pivot out of law. I've met so many people who've pivoted out of law. So don't be afraid to explore and experiment and, and, to hire someone to guide you too, because it can be really hard to do it alone, really scary. And a lot of people think of everything. We're taught everything in law school is kind of an all or nothing. You know, like, like I said, if you don't take this wills and trust class, you won't pass the bar. I mean, you know, just it's very black and white. Yeah. If you don't participate in OCIs, how are you ever going to get a job? I mean, I did not participate in OCIs. I didn't see a single job I wanted, so I didn't do it. You know, it's, you don't need to listen to all that, but having that mentor can really show you that maybe, yeah, things aren't so black and white that, you know, you don't have to drop down to a $0 salary just because you leave law and that there are jobs out there that value your law degree, you know, just like politics, but that's not the only one. There's so many other things you can do there, Yeah. And I, I, at this point, because I have pivoted, I keep my eyes open all the time because I'm like, you know what? I'm, I like what I'm doing, but I'm not dedicated to it. I'm dedicated to doing what sounds interesting and living the best life, the most exciting life. Why should I turn something down just because, oh, well, this is working pretty well for me. Well, wait, that sounds amazing. I'm like, if you're going to pay me to ride roller coasters for the rest of my life, hey, let's go do that. You know, you're going to pay me some six figures for that. Let's do it. You know, so you don't need to be limited by anything. And I think that's people do feel that way. And, and part of the reason I help the pre-law students is because I have always felt very limited by my debt. And so I try to help the students before they ever take on any of the debt, avoid it, find ways to avoid it, easy ways to avoid it, not just, Hey, get your best LSAT score. I mean, that's great and all, but that's only one way you can save money on law school. And it drives me crazy that, we all sit there drowning in debt or not everybody, but a lot of people. And I mean, I've counseled people who literally have been accepted to two or three schools and every single one of them is $60,000. And it's like, no, we need to, we need to sort this out because otherwise you won't have the ability to just, you know, make that change, take care of your mental health, shift things, take care of your kids if you need to, and that kind of stuff. 
No, absolutely. So let's dive in and talk about your pre-law survival guide, the book you wrote, and how you counsel pre-law students. You know, I'm interested to know more about, you know, the finances and, you know, what are different tips that you have? Yeah. So what I noticed by as I mentioned, doing everything the opposite of what they said is that I actually ended up saving a lot of money. Doing things the way they told everybody to do stuff really was not the best for saving money. So what I try to do is show students how uh, during the application process, during college and during law school, how you can do things a little bit differently so that you're saving money. So like, for example, let's just start in college. So Everyone's always trying to do this like double major or, you know, sometimes like a triple major. And I'm like, why? You you might get a bonus point on that application, but it's not really going to be worth all the extra time and effort that you're putting into it. If you have those extra classes, those units that most people are taking, you know, um, electives for instead of applying them to a double or triple major, if you actually take easy electives, I mean, there's like, you know, and what's easy for you may be different than for me, but in general, I'll say something like a drama class, right? It fulfills your art requirement, but it's not going to require massive studying. You get that easy A, and that's going to bolster your GPA to get into law school. But on top of that, because you're not doing massive studying, you have extra time. So now maybe you can put a few more hours into your part-time job. So you're making more money. So you're taking out less loans. So you're less in debt. I mean, it goes full circle. Or if you're just stressed out, it gives you that stress relief, right? Because you've got a few more hours every week instead of studying. Like my college roommate took art history and my gosh, how much she studied for that thing. I was like, why does anyone take this class? Like, what are you going to do with this art history class? I mean, nothing, right? So Look at college. I mean, I know we had to take three science classes to graduate. What classes are easiest? Can you go to the department? Or if one of your roommates is a science major, what classes are easiest? If that's not your major, if it has nothing to do with your life, why are you even messing around? Take the easiest classes, get the easiest A's. I kind of lucked out. I took a, I was a history minor. And I found a history slash science class. It was the history of animal vivisection, which is when they used to cut animals open while they're still alive to see how things work. Yeah, I was terrified of this class because I didn't know what we were going to be doing, but it covered two requirements. So I was like, I got to take it. Luckily, it was just a history class. We didn't like watch videos or anything like that. Um, No live animals. But because it was a history class, we just read. And then every single week we had a quiz and it was open book, open note. It was the easiest A I ever got. So are there classes like that that you can take to graduate, to fulfill a requirement that will make your life easier, that'll give you more time to like either go do recreational activities, uh, focus on your other classes and get better grades, to work more and take out less debt. You know, it comes full circle, but again, it gives you that better GPA, hopefully, to get into a better law school or to get more scholarships. And then in law school, you can do the same thing. Um, Talk to the guidance counselor. They're there for you. Most people never even bother, but are there easier classes? Are there classes where people tend to say, that was awesome, that was fun? Um, In my school, we had to take one class where... Um, you would write uh, like a 20, 30 page paper instead of doing a final. And that that was the entire class. 
you did pretty much nothing else the entire class. Literally every few weeks we would just turn in a topic. We would turn in like a, you know, an outline. We would turn in a rough draft, but none of that was graded. It was just this paper. Well, okay. So you can do the paper early. You can do it before finals week. Now you have less to study during finals week and you have some control over that grade because you can write and rewrite that paper. It's not how much did you remember on the day of the test? How much did you spit out in that one hour or three hours or whatever it is? You actually have some control. Now, the thing is, because it was required, everyone took it once and moved on. But you could take as many of these as you wanted to. You could fill all your electives with these classes. So I took it twice. And it helped raise my GPA because I had more control over my grade. So, but most people, because it was a requirement, I think they just felt like, oh, check the box, move on. So really look around at what your options are because there may be some classes that are a little bit easier for you to get a, a better GPA. My school also had, um, if you had under 10 students in a class, there was no mandatory curve. And my school was very, very tough on their curve all three years. I mean, they were kicking people out even during 2L year. It was a really rough school. So to have a class where there was no mandatory GPA curve. I mean, that it was just so nice. So does your school have something like that? Look around, see if there's classes that don't tend to have a lot of students in there and see if you can take a class without a curve or with a minimal curve. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can make your life easier, that you can try to reduce your stress. Um, even things like, um, when I did summer abroad, I actually saved money when I looked at the program I was interested in, the flight, the room and board, the books, the tuition, all of it, the entire package was cheaper than just taking the same number of units at my school. So will you share with us what you would say, you know, is your top tip for the pre-law student? Never assume that you have to do anything. Always look if there's another option. Always look around to see if there's another way of doing things. I love that. Me too. Because we're always telling people like, you know what? We never listen to the school. We're like, every time they're like, don't do this, don't do that. Like we do it anyway. We just do it anyway. And it's worked out for us. So I like how, you know, you're just validation of, you know, we're on the right path. Do your own thing. Do your own thing. Think about it. Ask why. Take your education to your control, you know? You're yeah, paying the money really, to go there, so why yes. not like use it to your advantage and Absolutely. make your life easier? They do teach you how to analyze, but then they don't want you to question anything. And it's very funny. And it went all the way until my graduation day where they told us we had to sit in alphabetical order. And I said, well, wait a minute. I just paid like a hundred grand and I suffered for three years and I want to sit next to my two BFFs. And they said, no, you have to be in alphabetical order so that your parents know when you're going to cross the stage so that, you know, they can take a picture. And I said, okay, my parents are like a mile away up in some balcony. I don't care about a photo on the stage. We'll take a photo after, but I want to sit through your boring little sermons with my BFFs. And what's funny is no one else thought like this. I, I was like some kind of rebel. It was crazy. And so luckily my two friends had um, similar last names. So I was the only one who had to, you know, jump out of line. But um, so we, we did end up sitting together. But I remember, you know, I was still like 26. There was a girl who was something like 36. And she had taken every single elective 
every single class with her one friend. They literally took every class together for all three years. And she wasn't sitting next to her. And I said, why aren't you sitting next to her? And she said, well, they told me I have to. I'm like, you are like 36. Do you hear yourself? Oh my like gosh. You're grown. Tell them what's up. I'll like, go sit next to her. And I don't, I can't even remember if she did or didn't, but I mean, the, the stressed out look on her face was ridiculous. So yes, question, don't assume things have to be a certain way. And especially if you're paying for something, remember you're paying for it. You have the right to ask, you know, why do I have to do it this way? And that kind of stuff. So yeah. That's great advice. I could advice. have used that advice when I was taking my composites the other day. Um, I didn't like, I didn't tell her what I wanted, I guess. And she was just like, do this, do this. And then Haley's like, why didn't you tell her what you wanted? It's like, you got to be bossy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's scary. <laughs> it's a skill. No, totally. Awesome. Well, Jolene, tell everyone where they can find you and where they can read your book. Yeah. So I am all over social media, um, LinkedIn as Jolene Blackburn, uh, ESQ, and then everywhere else as legal learning center. So that's primarily Instagram. Um, I do have a TikTok. I've been ignoring it lately, but I am on there. Um, I'm trying to think where else, but yes. And then on Amazon is, um, the pre-law survival guide. So that is just ways to save time, money, and stress on your legal journey. And it has advice from 40 different experts in both the legal field and outside the legal field meant to help you guys with your legal journey. So, um, and then yeah, reach out at any time. I'm always happy to chat. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome. Wow. I just loved her story. I mean, I just find it so ironic because so many times we push against certain things we don't like or we heard we didn't like it. I know I did that with law school and undergrad. Like, oh, one person told me it was really hard. Now I'm not even going to try to go to law school. And she totally like represents that in the sense that she didn't want to do wills and trusts. She didn't want to do workers comp and it all ended up working out for her. And I think that that's something that I definitely learned this episode was just don't be scared of the pivots. Don't be scared of the changes that you have to make. And I really liked when we asked her about, you know, why she changed back into estate planning and took a step back after workers comp, you know, when she enjoyed it and was doing so well. And, you know, when she said it was because of family and stress and she had that breakout and everything, I was just like, okay, you have to be able to understand your body, listen to your body, and also, you know, take those times to really like evaluate the situation. And, you know, we've talked about that before. And yeah, it was just nice to hear someone who actually did that in their life. Yeah. And I think it's just important to highlight, you know, she went through a lot of different types of law. And, you know, I always wonder what law am I going to figure out in 10 years that I really want to do? And is it realistic to, you know, pivot? And it is. And um, so that makes me excited because it just, you know, having a JD is so flexible and being a lawyer, like there's so many um, ways to be a lawyer, you know, also, you know, you can do multiple jobs at one time. You could be a document review attorney while you're also doing contract reviews for different you know, law firm, just be open to ideas. And in the same aspect, in the ways people have said before, you know, when you go to a job, don't be afraid to say yes, don't be afraid to raise your hand. I think that also comes with being a lawyer and practice and not being afraid to jump into things and not being afraid to say, you know what, 
I've gotten asked four times now for estate planning documents. I'm just going to do it. So thank you so much to Jolene for coming on the podcast. You guys have to check out her book, The Pre-Law Survival Guide. Again, that link is in our show notes. And while you're down in the show notes, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Ladies Who Law School Podcast and get some merch. We have a lot of new merch. Links will be below, obviously. But um, yeah, we're really into... Real Housewives lately. So you might see some of that stuff on there too. Um, but yeah, as always, send your suggestions. If you have like a cool legal quote that you'd like to see on a t shirt, let us know and we'll try to make it work. All right, guys, enjoy your week. Have a good one. Try to stay sane. I know we're trying to hang in there and we will talk to you again next week. Bye, guys. Bye.